Are you ready to end the cycle of negativity in your relationship? Do you wonder why you and your wife are always having the same exact fight over and over again? Figs O'Sullivan will show you the way on this episode of the Manlyhood Mancast. Men, nobody but you can lead your family and yourself to greater things. Nobody but you can carve your path. It's time to rise up and be a man. Welcome to the Manlyhood Mancast with Josh Gentlemen, welcome to the Manlyhood Mancast. I'm your host, Josh Hatcher. I'm glad you guys are tuning in today. We are going to have a great guest on today's show. But before we get to that, I just want to encourage you, if you haven't signed up yet for our knife giveaway, I want you to go to manlyhood.com slash contests. We're giving away uh, a great everyday carry blade called the Black Pearl, and it's made by our friends at Haynes Knives. So I want you to go check it out. This is going to be a perfect addition to your everyday carry kit. Uh, and we're going to give it away. So go sign up because that giveaway is coming up soon. Gentlemen, this uh, episode is a fantastic interview with Figs O'Sullivan. He's a distinguished licensed marriage and family therapist. And he really talks about emotionally focused therapy. Now, I know, you know, guys, we tend to not want to talk about our emotions or admit that we have them, but he really makes a great case for how to work on that relationship with your spouse, with your significant other. And I'm really happy with uh, his perspective on this. I think it's, it was really helpful and insightful as I interviewed Figs during this interview. Now, Figs is from Ireland and has a great accent, <laughs> so that makes this interview even more interesting. Uh, he's a character and a great guy, so definitely give this episode a listen. This is the Manlyhood Mancast. Figs, it is great to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for being with us on the Manlyhood Mancast. Uh, thank you, Josh, for having me on. Very excited to be here. Yeah, excited to have you and to chat with you. Uh, you've got some pretty awesome work that you've been doing. And uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do in the field of relationships? Yeah, I'm a couples therapist by training. And I run a business with my wife called Empathy. It's empathy with an I on the end, not a Y in the end. And basically, we provide couples counseling. We have an app for couples um, that they can, you know, learn about themselves and each other. And then we, you know, have a podcast, my wife and I together, called the Compare to Me podcast. And so we basically just try and do everything we can to get effective relationship guidance out to everybody, anywhere, regardless of their, you know, points of view, religious, political, we just try and make sure we can get effective relationship guidance out to everyone in the world. That's awesome. Tell me a little bit more about why you decided this was the field you wanted to pursue. Was there like a, like a superhero backstory behind it? I guess. Yeah. Oh yeah. There is a superhero backstory. 
right? Everyone's either born a, a prince or a pauper. And I guess in matters of love, I would say I'm closer to the pauper side. You know, my I'm from Ireland, if the listeners can't tell by my accent. I'm actually just back from three weeks in Ireland. It was like 34-hour trip home. So I'm, I'm, I'm not as articulate as usual. Just, you know, give me some slack. Right. So, um, did you, did you swim it or <laughs> no? That's what it feels like, right? I haven't actually traveled on a plane since before the pandemic, and oh my word, things have changed. I feel like talk about being treated like cattle, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so, but yeah, so look, I'm from Ireland, cliched Irish story, alcoholic father, heartbroken mother, and I just grew up with a lot of, you know, anxiety, shame, worry. You know, the sadness, grief, and you know, lots of, what do you want to call it, you know, um, turmoil, anger, violence, and all that stuff. And so, you know, I, what I wanted the most always was to be in a family, or like where I felt safe and belonged, and we were together as a unit, and... I had that to some degree with my sister and my mom, the three of us together. And I always thought, like, that's it. Like, I, I, in fact, I wrote this article called The Place I'll Go Before I Die. And I always imagined returning to this moment where I was with my mom and my sister in this little apartment my mom was living in at the time when I was a teenager. I couldn't imagine that I would actually get to even more love and belonging than the three of us had together in our little, like, broken family. Um, but, you know, I set about doing the healing work on myself. And now, you know, I'm married. I've got two kids. And every night, you know, go to bed living in my greatest dream, which is, you know, that I'm now the dad I didn't really have. I got two little kids and a wife and literally every day feels like I'm living the dream that I longed for as a kid. That's awesome. You know, I think a lot of men are in your position where they didn't have that father figure giving them the good example that they needed. How would you say that you overcame that? I mean, it was messy. (laughs) How did I overcome it? Um, Look, I was very fortunate in the sense that I'd been exposed to therapy as a kid. You know, I wasn't particularly into it as a kid, but at least I knew it was there. And I had some sense that there were things inside me, there was wounding inside me, and that most of the things I was doing, most of the ways I was trying to get past it were compensations, they were strategies. And something deep down inside me knew that that wasn't going to work long term. And so when I first moved to America, I was a stockbroker. And of course, I was a stockbroker because I wanted to escape my shame. I wanted to escape my unworthiness. And I had this, you know, early 20s idea that if I could make money really quickly, then, you know, I would escape all my woundedness and unworthiness. Um, and of course, like it didn't work like that, right? I mean, I got, I was lucky enough to learn that, like, it was just like eating M&Ms for dinner. It's not nourishing. It didn't work, right? Um, 
I got the, I was lucky enough to get the try, you know, being Irish. I was a stockbroker by day, bartender by night. I got to try sex and intimacy as a way to escape unworthiness. Yeah. And oh, lo and behold, turns out that's just like eating M&Ms for dinner too, right? It's no nourishment. You end up with a headache afterwards, right? You know, it doesn't, it doesn't work. And so at 33, I just quit. I gave it all up. And I moved to a place called Esalen. I don't know if your listeners are familiar with Esalen, but Esalen, like, has been referred to as the Harvard of the human potential movement. It's where Eastern philosophy and Western uh, psychotherapy meet. And I got to live there for a year and a half. And I basically spent that entire year and a half just working on myself, trying to work out what my wounding is and being with that wounded little boy inside me giving him the love now that he didn't have then and trying to be more fully alive, you know, in all different aspects. And um, I think of Esalen as a third parent. And then, so I hit a point where instead of just working on myself and I couldn't imagine when I was working on myself, I could ever be one of the facilitators of these transformational experiences. I mean, they just seemed like, superhumans to me that they could help people you know access their vulnerability heal and you know be more of themselves freely in the world i um i decided to go back to school to be a therapist um which was scary for me to do because i had to give up like trying to make money as a way to survive um my wounding and then it turned out when i was sitting with people i just really really loved it so, so in, in terms of, you know, what would I tell other, you know, men, like at some point you got to turn and face the little one inside you that's still hurt and grow to love them, not try and get rid of them. And um, yeah, and so I was lucky enough that I had some pivotal moments in my life that I chose to stop trying to get away from my woundedness, embrace my woundedness and love that part of me. And then bring that part of me everywhere I go, you know, into the rest of my life. Have you found that in your relationship with your spouse, that that makes a big difference in the way you relate with her? And did you still have a lot of work to do once you started that relationship with her? Yeah. I mean, look, absolutely. I'm a wounded human being. And uh, that means I can like, like I think, Almost everybody is. But look, I get threatened. I get constricted inside. I feel rejected, abandoned, ashamed. And I don't behave very well in when I feel that way on the inside, right? I go into strategy, reactivity, and my strategy, reactivity doesn't, it hurts my spouse. It hurts my partner. It hurts the world that I'm enacting that strategy on when I'm feeling threatened inside myself. So like, I have to work on this every day. It's not like, oh, I'm done, right? I'm still a wounded person. I'm still likely when I walk down the street to get a coffee with my dog and a neighbor's dog comes out to try and attack my dog, I'm likely not only to protect my dog, but to scream and shout at the neighbor. Like, it would be great just to protect the dog and not have the screaming and shouting at the neighbor part. But, like, yeah, you know, I'm a work in progress, right? Right. 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 Nobody's perfect, right? Exactly. So, look, I, I still have a little street kid, a little Irish street kid inside me. 
I still get my feelings hurt. I still am reactive with my wife. I still hurt her. But, you know, like I always teach my uh, clients, um, the magic of relationship is in the repair. It's not to be expected you're going to get things perfect all the time. Like, look, I'd much rather be with be someone that knows they're an asshole and actually knows the way they're an asshole. Right? That's that's much less scary for me than someone that doesn't think they're an asshole. Right. And look, right. I know I'm I'm a challenged human being with limitations and, and reactivity because I've been hurt before, and the present always often reminds me of something painful from the past. Um, I'm not. I don't behave perfectly. But so much easier to then be able to go to my wife and go, hey, listen, look, I got my feelings hurt, I got threatened, I shouted, I know I didn't shout it, I see the impact it had on you. Like, I mean, look, it's still not ideal, but I don't know who is ideal that I still have some moments of, you know, talking like an Irish street hoodlum. But, um, but at least I know what I can repair at. So tell me about, I know a lot of men really struggle in that relationship with their spouse. Um, I know even in my, I have a really good relationship with my wife, but it wasn't always good. Uh, we had to go through some work. <laughs> um, and I think a lot of it is like, I know for me, it was hard for me to trust her enough to show her some of the, the, the things I was feeling and struggling with, you know, and, and honestly, I might not have even realized the things I was feeling. It's hard enough to show me the things I'm feeling and struggling with, you know, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, so the, the first thing, all of my work is based primarily on one theory and it's just a theory of attachment. And so attachment theory is the best theory we have of what love is. It's actually got, it's the most evidence-based part of all of psych psychology. Um, I mean, but in short, it's basically we all need to be emotionally bonded from the cradle to the grave. And if you just think of it just from basic evolutionary perspective, like, look, 100,000 years ago, when we were running around on the African savannas, right? When you were born, you didn't need food and shelter. You needed a good enough other on the other side of your birth. If there wasn't a good enough other on the other side of your birth, you were definitely going to die. Right? And the same is true today. You could, you could be born today in a really lovely, warm, secure room. Um, you know, with lots of weapons around you to protect you and, um, lovely warm food, Netflix subscription, Amazon Prime subscription. But you're still going to die if there's not a good enough other that's going to, one, be there for you emotionally and physically, and two, it's like show you that you're good enough for that, right? If there isn't a good enough other on the other side of your birth, you're going to die. Your organism is built to detect, even though you're a grown-up, is like you, to look out in the world and see, is my person that's no longer my mom, fingers crossed, Josh, your person's no longer your mom, it's your right. It's a different place we start in therapy if the person's primary attachment figure is still their mom when they're married, right? But so now my primary attachment figure is my wife, right, in your case. And so it means that just on this deep physiological level, you're going to look out in the world, you're going to be asking, are you truly there for me, 
right? Or am I, and or am I truly enough for you? Are you going to be disappointed in me? Am I going to be acceptable to you? Do you understand me the way I am? And so just, you know, when you asked me like a question, like, you know, like, um, how come it was hard for me to trust sharing myself with my wife? I basically go all the way back to those first principles. Well, you're a human being. We're an interdependent species. Trusting someone with your emotions is the most important thing in the world because, you know, your body still thinks you're going to get eaten by a dingo, right, if they're not truly there for you. So it makes sense. It would be really loaded and really scary to share the most precious parts of yourself with your spouse, your wife, your partner, um, in case you end up getting abandoned or rejected or shamed. Because arguably, these are the most painful things we can experience in life. Well, and even in a good relationship, you know, like I said, we, we've, we've always, I think we've always had a good relationship. But, you know, if you ask the man to give it a letter grade, we're always going to give it like a B or a B plus, and she's always going to give it a C minus. Right. <laughs> but, but so like, but I know that even though this is my, my wife, my partner, my best friend, my lover, all those things, you know, the mother of my children, uh, you know, my roommate, all those things that she is, you know, and as great as she is, she has hurt me. Right. I have trusted her and she has let me down. You know, sure. she has shamed me or said the things that made me react with shame, yeah. you know, over the years now. And I'm, I'm not saying that to knock her. Cause I still think she's amazing and the best wife that I, you know, the best wife on the planet, but she's not perfect any more than I'm perfect. So I, I found that like, if I'm, it's, it's hard sometimes to, to let her in because if I do, what if she hurts me again? Sure. Well, absolutely. And this is, but the, the key transformational moment when I'm working with couples is both people have experienced some version of this statement, right? The details we can fill in with different things, right? Um, you weren't there for me then. It looks like it's happening again right now. And so it's too scary for me to give you an opportunity to be here, right? for me right now. So, so the first thing I try and do is like, look, if, if one of you is hurting, both of you are hurting. So let's just say there's two sides of wounding and love. On one side, it's a gross oversimplification, but it's good to get down to very, you know, first principles. On one side of wounding, it's you're not going to be there for me. I'm going to end up being abandoned. And the other side of wounding and love, you will reject me i won't be enough for you and you will reject me when someone feels abandoned they in their pain will reject their partner because you are abandoning me you are unacceptable to me. so now both people are hurting at the same time so again it's just like an archetype comes in pairs right the wounded healer you can't be a healer without being wounded We've all met healers that are annoying as hell, but they try and only heal the other person and, and pretend they're perfect, right? It's not going to work. You've got to be both, right? When you're when in a relationship, if you're feeling abandoned, your spouse is feeling rejected. And just but, but even if you just think about what you said, you have hurt me before. You you have at least in moments of the past been suboptimal, right? And you're you know you're letting like you were not there for me. 
you are you were suboptimal in the, in the past, and I don't know if I can trust you. If you're good enough now that you're not going to hurt me again in your suboptimal ways. So this is the tough part for couples is to go from our subjective stories, our I stories, to our shared story. Hey, listen, in that moment when I felt abandoned, I could see how you felt rejected in the next breath. Because as soon as I felt abandoned, I was disappointed in you. And now you're being rejected. And then you're trying to defend yourself or you went out to play an extra round of golf or whatever you do. Tiddlings, doesn't matter, right? And then I end up feeling even more abandoned. So I looked at you like I was even more disappointed. I don't know if I'll ever be able to trust someone like you. So now they're even more rejected. So the, the hardest thing at first when I work with a couple is to help them see, would you look how awful this is for both of you? The more one of you feels abandoned, the more you reject the other person, the more you feel rejected, the harder it is for you to show up and love them now. Of course it would be. So the more they feel abandoned, so you reject them some more. Oh, my God. This is terrible for the two of you. My heart breaks for both of you, not just one of you. The first thing I have to do is get a couple to live inside of that narrative, that it's a both of us thing, not a me or a you thing. One of the things... Um that as I was looking through, uh, you know, the information about you, it was a question to ask you. And I like asking this question because I think it, it makes a lot of good sense. But why is it that couples have the same fight over and over again? Yeah, well, look, couples have the same fight over and over again because it's never really the issue they're fighting about. The real thing they're fighting about is attachment, is emotional bonding. Are you there for me and am I enough for you? Right? Because it's the most important thing in the world. You could basically break down to every fight a couple has comes down to just these two basic things. And like, there's different flavors. Are you there for me? Do you want me? How can you not make me feel special? How come I'm not a priority to you? How come like you're not focused on the we? You're more focused on the I. But these all fall under the definition, under the category of are you there for me? So. And then the other side of wounding and love is, am I enough for you? How come you don't accept me? How come you don't understand me? How come I'm always in trouble? How come I'm always getting a C grade when I think it's a B? I'm never good enough. I never get there. Why can't this moment be enough? I just got you one rose and you're like upset it wasn't a dozen. Like, come on. <laughs> right? So look, every issue a couple has, and this is it's terrible. I hate to be so reductive. You think you're fighting about where are we going to go for coffee, right? You think you're fighting about, like, hey, which car are we going to buy? You think you're fighting about housework. You think you're fighting about sex. You think you're fighting about your political views or vaccinations. But in that conversation you're having, one of you felt abandoned and the other person felt rejected. And now you've used the battleground of the topic to play out your attachment wounding over and over and over again. So if we ever want to really help that couple, we got to help them. They're not going to like it. They're going to know things. This really is an issue about vaccinations. I want extras every week and she wants none, right? I like, listen, this is not about vaccinations, my friend. Just for a moment, let's put the vaccination topic on the shelf and let's look at when you talk about vaccinations, look at the way you're hurting each other emotionally. 
The more you talk about it, the more she feels like there's no room for her to talk. So the less she's available, the more abandoned you feel. So you go and talk some, give her some more facts about how wonderful vaccinations are. So she feels even more constricted and terrible, and she's definitely not going to listen to another word you say. Like that, that happens no matter what the topic is, right? And again, the punchline, how sad for both of you. You both end up losing each other, and it's devastating for both of you. And I wouldn't like to be either of you in this conversation. I have no idea what you're going to decide on your children getting vaccinated, right? But that doesn't, that's not my, that's not up to me. It has nothing to do with me. What is, what my job is, is to show you, would you look at no matter what you talk about, you both end up breaking each other's hearts. How tragic. Now, what are we going to do with that moment? In my world, it's pretty obvious what we do. We reach out and squeeze each other's hand. I really see how we end up hurting each other when we talk about this. Come here. No, you come here. And they hug each other and they rub each other's little noses, give each other nuggies, whatever the couple does. Right? And now, guess what? Now we're in a really good place, to, like a safe place, a connected, emotionally bonded place. Hey, what are we going to do like, about vaccinations? Now we can have a discussion about vaccinations because we're back to being emotionally connected and as a team. It's a tough conversation. Some conversations, they're just hard, right? But let's at least have them emotionally bonded. So doesn't matter what you're talking about. It's always, if you're fighting about it, it's an emotional bonding thing. It's an attachment thing. There's, it is very little to do with the topic itself. So as I'm, I'm hearing you talk about this, I actually can think about it at almost every kind of relationship, right? Like we're talking love and emotional you know, you know, like a married relationship or that kind of relationship. But like, even with your friends, if you've got differences or your parents and you've got differences, it's probably the key of every <laughs> human conflict, right? Yeah, well, look, it's, again, attachment theory is probably the best theory to understand the choices and decisions most human beings are making, right? Is so good. If you just think about it, your spouse, your partner is the world's primary representative to you, to you right? The, the world's out there and the world sent their diplomat to go live in your house with you. So you're going to have most of your attachment wounding come up with your, your spouse, right? Your partner, right? That you live with. And then your kids, your parents, and then your friends, and then your community, and then, of course, you're, you'll also have it when you're driving to work and someone cuts you off and it touches that place deep down inside you that you've always felt hurt about not being considered and I have a right to be considered. So you got your feelings hurt and then you flip the guy off and you tailgate him. He hurt me. I'll show you how I'm not one to not be considered. And then, of course, you're going to trigger his deep hurt, right? This person doesn't think I'm a serious individual. I wasn't treated seriously as a kid. So now they're going to have to put their foot on the brake. And now both of you are just two little hurt people. And both of your reactions are actually hurting each other some more. And now I have to read about both of you in the newspaper the next day. <laughs> right? Like, come on, two little hurt kids couldn't handle their pain. And they both got reactive and they made things worse and they ruined their life. This is happening. Hey, so here's the good news. If you understand attachment theory, human beings make sense. You don't want to like, you know, I, I lived in San Francisco. And now I live in Hawaii. What's happening in our world politically makes sense. We had a bunch of, you know, left coasters like me that felt culturally superior and hurt people. Hurt people. 
And lo and behold, there is a reaction, right? And that reaction, I mean, uh, you may not care about it, but it hurts. It hurts. And what are we going to do? We're going to show some more disdain. It hurts. We're going to now we don't care if the person has 20,000 indictments. We'll, 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 we'll friggin' elect them just so that it hurts some more. Oh, it hurts. Well, let's go get a few more indictments for him. See how that feels. Same stuff, just a different day, different paint on the walls, different carpet on the ground, same attachment stuff over and over and over again. Very sad. But come here. This is the only chance we have. Very sad for both of us. Someday, whether it's your spouse or whether it's the people on the other side of a political divide, Jesus, please let it be really sad for both of us so we could have some empathy and compassion for each of us, and then we could work with us as a team to make things a little better. So how do we fix it? Like, let's look at a practical, you know, a real practical boots on the ground Okay, I'm a man who doesn't get much emotionally, right? I don't even know what I'm feeling half the time, you know, but but my relationship with my spouse and I, I mean, I'm, I'm using the I here royally, right? Like it's all of us, right? Yeah, you know, exactly. uh, how, how do we fix it when it's at this broken place? Like, what do we do? Yeah, yeah. Well, so the first thing we have to do, here's the good news, right? By the way, let me say, answer one Here's the thing that is often really shocking. It was really shocking for me. Men often will do better in couples counseling than the woman. So let's say everything I said is true. Here's what I'm offering. Right. And so we're talking about like heterosexual relationship. Let's say it's not always this way. And the, the woman is the one that, how come you're not loving me enough? We're on this is a C grade. And the man's like, don't you see it's a B? I'm really trying. Like, I'm not really bad. You know, sure, I like American football, but like, come on, like, I, I tried really hard the rest of the week, right? And it's just not enough. So he feels like not enough and she feels not prioritized, right? And they're both hurting, right? And that couple comes to see me. That couple comes to see me. Just think about it. She, the woman in this scenario, is living in the, the master bedroom of the house, right? They are the good one. They're the one that's trying. They're not getting what they deserve. It's terrible. Their girlfriends agree with them when they meet them at yoga class. Cosmopolitan Magazine agrees with them, right? The class they did this week said that they're a queen and they deserve to ask for their needs and they should be met. And the guy goes to the bar, has a burp and a fart, grabs some peanuts, knocks back a shot, and the boys go, another day, yeah, with the missus, are you telling me? So the boys agree to go, yeah, we're never good enough, are we? Let's play some golf. Let's get a waiver of boys trip this weekend, right? Okay, because they're the crap one that really are living in the garage. They don't get to live in the master suite because they're the crap one and their wife is the good one. Then they come see me and I tell them a story of, wait a second, both of you are hurting. Both of you are actually, not that you're doing it on purpose, are withholding love from each other, Right? And both of you are devastated and heartbroken. This is a both of you problem, not a one of you problem. The guy, totally understandable. They, they'll sign up for that immediately. Wait, are you sort of sorry? What's on offer is I go from being the complete shit one to just like half shit. 
right? Now, the woman, that's much harder. I go from having zero shit to like, like I now have to accept some shit, right? It's a much harder deal to sign up for than the woman. The guy is like, even though he may have been the one that goes, I ain't going to couples counseling. Are you kidding me? That's ridiculous. That's the crazy thing I've ever heard. Once he gets in the door, he's like, cheers. This is great. And there's actually time for me to share my feelings and someone's going to help me work out what I'm feeling, a little space around it and communicate it. It's actually much easier for the guy than the woman. The woman has a much harder thing they're being asked to do. And by the way, rightly so. It's They've been living in this world that they're absolutely the one wrong. And it's because of that fecker watching football every Sunday. Right? That's a really hard thing to wrap your head around. Wait a second. I'm withholding as much love from him as he's withholding from me. Right? Okay. So... So that, that's the first thing. Men do much better in couples counseling than they even imagine they'll do. Right. Okay. What do we do? The first thing we have to do, get in the door with someone that can hold both of you and see how you both make sense. That they're not going to be taking sides. They're not going to be trying to just change your behavior. We got to like then deeply analyze what is it that's happening between the two of you before we try and change anything. Right. Before we come out with a vaccine. So we deeply understand what in the name of God this virus actually is, right? Because there's no point in coming out with solutions when we don't really understand what's happening. So first thing, the three of us, me and the couple, right, or one of the therapists on our team, or someone else, fingers crossed, that actually knows what they're doing, which is harder to find than you may think. We're just going to, three of us, try and really, really study what is it that's actually happening between the two of you. And then we'll get to some place where we go, I got it, I got it. I understand what the problem is between the two of you, deeply, emotionally. And then if I can get the couple to buy in, oh, I see what our problem is, not what your problem is or my problem is, what our problem is. And then they feel that in their bones, in their heart, in their gut, their throat, their hearts are breaking for me and you. Right? That them... From that place of mutual empathy, empathy for self and empathy for the other person at the same time, call it empathy squared. You're not just having empathy for the other person. You're actually having empathy for yourself and the other person at the same time. Both people, right, blows people's hearts and minds wide open. Now we can show up and love each other the way we needed to back then when we hurt each other. We can actually have a moment in the therapy session where two people, including the guy that was watching football on Sunday, could be holding his wife in the room and crying. And they're doing that again. They're back down to touching their noses, giving each other nuggies. And then they can love each other for the rest of their lives. Yeah. I I have been in a few of those sessions uh, just kind of as a friend, not like as an official therapist. So I don't know what I'm doing and we're talking and, and I've seen that man where it's like the guy's like, I finally feel heard. I've been wanting to say this and nobody would listen. And all of a sudden she feels, are you telling me I'm wrong? You know, and then it doesn't go well. Then, the, then, you know, yeah, I've been there. I've seen that, you know, and, and I've even seen it in my own life, man. Like just to be able to finally hear what she's saying or how it made her feel when I said, you know, 
such and such, or when I did such and such, or didn't say, gosh, that's usually the problem. I think it's what I didn't say that causes the most hurt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course, right? There's, look, again, love and relationship matter so much that we're going to hurt each other all the time. And one of the most basic things is accept the other person's experiences true and be able to validate them. Like if you arrive home with one cup of coffee, for example, and your wife is at the door going, are you kidding me? You got one cup of coffee? You know I love coffee. Like what, what were you thinking? Right? Like, look, you, you might look, I only got one cup of coffee because I didn't even know you're home, right? It, do, it doesn't matter what your excuse is. I mean, it doesn't mean you're wrong or bad. We just want to accept she really is feeling not prioritized and not important. There's, not, there's no point in trying to tell her you shouldn't be feeling this way. Every, every defense, every explanation you get, they ran out of coffee. It was the last coffee cup in the county. It doesn't matter because it's not relevant to the, if you really love me, you would have brought two cups of coffee back. You don't have to say sorry, but you have to at least be able to accept it really does make sense that me arriving home with one cup of coffee broke her little heart because it touched that place that made her feel again. It looks like I'm not, you like, I'm not your priority. I'm not important to you. You weren't thinking of me. So it makes sense she got hurt. It makes sense then she would say something you. And it makes sense that you got hurt. So I come back with one cup of coffee. It was the only cup of coffee in the whole county. Like, what was I supposed to do? It makes sense that you just got told again, You look at you with your C grade. You're on your way to a D, right? So it makes sense you would defend yourself, right? But hopefully we could get her then to accept, hey, listen, it makes sense you were upset when you arrived home with one cup of coffee. I get it. It touched that place where you don't matter. Right. But it also makes sense when you told him you're a D grader now for this, that he, he would have been devastated inside. Even if it didn't look like he was devastated to you, he just like, I'm going back out to the garage. Right. And yeah, you both make sense. Everybody always makes sense. No, it's true. Everyone always makes sense. Yeah. You said that a couple of times. What does that mean, man? Every, everybody always makes sense. Like when you look at people's actions, what they do, and we reverse engineer it back to what was the need they're not going to. If you look at someone and they go to a coffee shop and you, they've run out of frappuccinos or whatever it's called, and they lie on the ground and they stomp their feet in their hands and they cry out loud, you look at them first and you go, that person's a lunatic. Like, what are they at? Right. But let's, let's just work out what was happening. There was something that they longed for that was very important to them. They didn't get it. When they didn't get that, which they longed for, they felt hurt. It hurt inside. And now they're having a reaction to being hurt. Listen, that makes sense. That makes sense what they're doing. When your spouse greets you at the door and says, huh, I see the old uh, seven o'clock being home didn't mean much because it's now nine. Your dinner's in the oven. Heat it up yourself if you want it. You're like, that's a little harsh. I was just rescuing babies from a burning building all day. That was unnecessary. Well, listen, look, it doesn't matter. You're her primary attachment figure. She's now spent the last, it doesn't matter how noble what you're doing was. She just spent the last two hours feeling like, how come I'm never a priority? How come I don't matter? You said you'd be home at the, like, it actually makes sense that she was snippy with you at the door. Why would someone that's feeling deprioritized and not important to you behave very well? 
They would, it totally makes sense that they were a little like passive aggressive with you at the door when you came in. Of course they would be. Of course they would be. They totally make sense. Now, you also make sense when you're like, I just rescued 20 babies. I'm going to be on the local news tomorrow. Right? It makes sense that you're defending yourself and explaining yourself because it hurts so much not to be understood. You make sense too. Both of you make sense why you had a really awful evening together being both heartbroken. So is there a, a power then in acknowledging to her, okay, that makes sense. I don't agree with you. I don't like what you did, but it makes sense. Like, does that help? <laughs> well, yeah, but when you say you don't agree with her, right? Look, here's what I would say is all roads to a better relationship. We've got to get both of you to pass through. Um, I see what ha what we just co-created with each other. So let's just take that fictional example. I come home two hours late. She feels not prioritized. She reacts by telling me, you keep your dinner yourself. I go, this is, I feel it's really unfair. So I go, totally unnecessary. You shouldn't talk to me like that after rescuing babies. And she's like, whatever. Right. And then you spend the evening like in separate rooms and it's just like, right. Like, okay. I don't know if you noticed when I hear the story, every single part of it makes sense. Every part of it makes sense. It makes sense why she got her heart broken when you come home two hours late. It makes sense that a heartbroken person would be snippy. Now, by the way, when she was snippy, it makes sense that you, the baby rescuer in your fireman job or whatever you were doing, rescuing babies, I don't know, you've been out on your tells you when babies need to be rescued, whatever you do, right? It makes sense, right, that you got heartbroken and didn't feel understood. And it makes sense you were like, you shouldn't talk to me like that. That's not right. And it makes sense now that she feels even less of a priority because when she tried to tell you her heart's broken in her passive aggressive ways, you actually doubled down and told her your feelings don't matter. Not on purpose. So come here. Every single part of what's happening, what you're both feeling inside and what you're both doing is totally logical. And here's the key thing. I cross my fingers. Can we turn that now logical way of seeing what just happened between us while we spent the night in separate rooms, both of us really upset? disconnected into some empathy and compassion for the two of us. This is the key thing. The key first transformational moment is we can see inside the system of what we created, we both got our hearts broken and both of us responded to each other when our hearts were broken in ways that further broke each other's hearts. How sad for both of us. Now, I'm repeating that over and over again because this is the change to our physiology. We go from being warriors and a fight for our life with our partner, where we have to decide what's right and what's wrong, to being, hey, wait a second. We're both just two little mammals that got really scared and hurt because we love each other, right? There's a totally different outcome that's possible if we're just two little mammals that we both got hurt because we love each other. Come here. You want to come into my room? No, you come into my room. <laughs> Those two will meet each other at the door and love each other. That was really hard. It makes sense you got hurt when I wasn't home. Look, and I understand you rescued babies. You only on the news tomorrow, and I was mad at you. Sweetie. Oh, you, sweetie. And then we're back to, like, they're touching each other again. Figs, I've got a story that illustrates this perfectly that I think you'll appreciate. So I know that this interview is about you, and so I want to hear from you, but I think you'll really like this story. So uh, we used to have 
uh, a little latch on our door. Just one of those little, you know, flip it up and turn it over on our bedroom door. And I don't remember what it was. We went to bed and we had a little bit of an argument about something. It was something small, but it was enough that we were a little irritated with each other. And when I go to bed at night, I have a sleep apnea machine and then I don't fall asleep well. So I usually will put up my phone and I'll put my headphones in so I don't bother my wife and I'll watch some stupid show on TV. And I usually get about half an hour and then I fall asleep. So we went to bed a little angry with each other. I went into my hole is what I call it. You know, go, you know, I can't hear anything, you know? Well, she's upset and she's thinking, I I just need to go downstairs and get my head right so I can sleep. So when she gets up, she kind of, the pillow gets pushed up against my back. And so I feel like there's someone behind me and she goes downstairs and, uh, you know, I fall asleep and then she's still down there. She's planning on coming back up to bed. In fact, I think she's going to come upstairs and wake me up and apologize to me is her plan, you know, and try to work it out. I get up to go to the bathroom because I wake up and I come back to bed and I latch the door like we always do to keep the dogs from getting out. Right. Not realizing because I felt the pillow behind me. Right, right. Oh, you're in trouble now. Yeah, Went back to sleep. Didn't right. know. She comes upstairs and tries to get in the bedroom and it doesn't open and and she's she whispers, Josh, Josh, let me in. I don't hear her. <laughs> yeah. So she goes downstairs and sleeps on the couch. In the morning, I go downstairs, get ready for work. I wake up early, you know, and I go downstairs and I see her on the couch. I'm like, oh, I'm thinking that somehow she got downstairs ahead of me before I realized it. You know, I'm like, oh, good morning. And she just looks at me like fire because I made her sleep on the couch, you know, <laughs> And she was mad. She was so mad. So oh, on my lunch yeah. break, I came home and ripped off the latch so that that wouldn't happen again. So now we can't really latch our door from the inside. But. No, but I love that. I love that. I mean, it's funny, right? You know, the best definition of um, comedy is tragedy plus time. <laughs> right, right? Right. See the tragedy in it for your wife in that moment. Talk about being rejected. You hurt. I mean, you didn't do this on purpose, but it's, right. this is the thing. Don't worry about whether what the intention is, intentions mentioned, or what you did it on purpose. Impact is more important than intention in love. Mm -hmm. Accidentally put the latch on the door, her now coming up the bit like, no, it's going to land like, no, you hurt me and you're out. There's no room for you. Right. That's exactly what she heard. Right. And it makes sense. And she would look at you with fire. And, right? <laughs> like, look, yeah. So this is the thing. We want to accept people's experience, not like, but I didn't mean it. It was, I thought, like, it's like, you know, it absolutely, that must have been devastating when it looked like I was ups that upset with you that I locked you out of our bedroom. Your wife must have had a, such a hard night, right? She, she would have been devastated. Yeah. <laughs> and funny. in the morning, I wake up and don't understand why she's mad at me. It took me a while to I, figure out what happened. And when I realized it, you know, so because she told me, you know, before I left for work, what happened. And I was and she was still mad. So right. when she got home and I got home, we worked it out. And again, it was very much. I, I understand how that made you feel. And. And she was like, I understand why you were so scared when I was upset at you because you had no idea what was happening. Yeah, that was the very conversation that we had. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I love it. It's one of our favorite stories to tell, too, oh, because it's like. <laughs> yeah. 
That's a that is a that really hits all the attachment, all the emotional bonding, like fear buttons. Right. I also told her. I also told her when I come to like if I had been in her shoes when it's happened before, she's locked me out of the bedroom, um, and I I don't think she did it on purpose, but I think she just did it kind of out of habit, you know. But I thought that same thing, and I pounded and yelled to get it, you know. <laughs> and, right. And 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 meanwhile she. Let me in, Josh. Right. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's interesting. You get to learn what are the strategies people will do in a moment of feeling rejected, right? Do they, do they shut down, right? Um, or do they, like, try and resolve things quickly, you know, pound the door, let my, I need to be heard now. Yeah. Um, good story. I like it. Yeah, thanks. I, I, it came to mind immediately when you started telling your... You know, it started started walking through it. So it sounds to me what you're saying is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it I think it makes sense. It sounds to me like what you're saying is that what we really need to make a marriage work is a good dose of patience and a good dose of empathy. Yeah, I think empathy and then systems thinking, right? We just need systems thinking. And this is really hard. I think it's particularly hard for Americans, right? Because people here in America right, the rights of the individual, we all have a right to individual happiness, we all have a right to ask for our needs to be met, they should be met, if they're not being met, then the person's not right for us, like, people don't even realize how indoctrinated they are, and by the way, I love America, I'm here by choice, right? I'm an American citizen by choice, right, I'm, I'm all in, but when it comes to relationship, like intimate relationship, we're interdependent, we are in a system with each other. You cannot just have two people looking out for their individual needs. So it's really hard for people to expand their mind to see what is the system right now that we are both co-creating. Right? So that is the key. Um, Everyone wants to learn communication skills, right? Everyone wants to, like, have their needs heard and have the other person show up well. You want to be better at showing up well for the other person. But what most people don't get is even before you do all of those things, we need to be able to see it as a systemic problem, not a me or a you problem. I think that works well with your idea of looking at it logically. You know, the, the, the looking at the situation logically, I can see how you would feel that way. Yeah. And that that systemic. Now, typically, though, it's very hard to turn off the emotional filter in that moment, I think. No, but you won't. Right. This is another thing that's very hard to, for couples to accept. I would say the moment is lost. It's always a retroactive thing. Right. It's always. <clears throat> what matters the most is what our final story is. Let, let's say right now when, when you, the listener, get in the fight with your, um, your spouse, your partner, it lasts for 10 hours. And in that 10 hours, you do 10 units of damage, right? And on the back end of that square, 10 by 10, time by amount of damage, you have a just kind of kind of passive repair. Okay, I'll go get the kids. Okay, fine, I'll make dinner. Right? That's how you get back to normal with each other, right? What we want to do is make that box of suffering much smaller. Let's have, you're still going to have the same fight, 
sorry, there's no love and relationship without hurting each other. You're still going to hurt each other. But what if we could cut it down, the amount of time you're in that disconnection from 10 hours to ultimately eventually 10 minutes? And what if in that 10 minutes, instead of it being 10 units of suffering, heartbreak for both of you, we cut it down to 0.1 units of suffering, right? And then on the, so now we have a tiny box of suffering. Sorry, still suffering, but it's this tiny box compared to the big 10 by 10, right? That you had like before you started to learn how to do this work. And then on the back end of the tiny box of suffering, you don't just do a passive, I'll get the kids, you make dinner. You actually, hey, show me where you got hurt in that box of suffering. Right here. And, and the other, and your spouse, well, where did you get hurt? I got hurt right here. Can I love you there now in the way I couldn't love you then? Yeah. How about I love you? And, and so you actually have a meaningful repair. And now we're, we move forward into life, connected, loving each other, knowing we're there for each other and we're enough for each other until the next box of suffering arrived. And then we got to do the work all over again. Let's not let this box last now for 10 days and take 10 lumps of flesh from each other within the 10 days. We're in a system, we're both hurting because we love, I'm going to use technical language, we love the shit out of each other. That's why we're both behaving in ways that keep hurting each other. Let's stop now. I freaking love you. You love me. We both just got hurt. Come here. No, you come here. And then we're doing the nuggies again. And then it'll happen again on Tuesday. That's it. That's the way life goes. Okay. So that, that, that's what we want to be able to do. I love it. So, Figs, I like to ask all my guests a few questions. Uh, and I, I, I actually hate to move into this part of the interview at the moment because I'm really enjoying this conversation with you, which tells me that we need to have another conversation in the future. So it'd be really cool maybe to even have you and your wife on together sometime. So we'll, we'll chat about that. Let's make that happen. Um, but I, I like to ask all my guests these questions towards the end of the interview, and uh, I get a lot of really interesting responses. So the first question is this. What does it take to be a man? Yeah, look, that's a, it's, a, it's a big, complex question. Um, I would say... For me personally, what I try and aspire to, to being a man, is that I can know what my vulnerabilities are and include my vulnerabilities when I address, meet, interact with the world. Right? It takes more courage to be a vulnerable human being, uh, be a like a threatened human being, than to just protect myself always from being threatened right now. I know you said, like, for your show and your listeners, I want to be clear. The two things I care most about are, you know, that I'm inspired by it, is how to help people love each other. And then I also love Bitcoin. And in fact, in many ways, Bitcoin has helped me better understand the need for power projection in human history. And so I want to be clear that there are times that in most of our interactions, it's more important to let yourself be vulnerable and interact with the world vulnerably. But I do think it is important when necessary, which are very few moments in life, one hopes, is you have to make sure that the cost of hurting you is greater than any benefit a potential attacker would have to your personal, your body, the 
your personal property, your family, your loved one, right? But look, let's say that that's like one in a thousand interactions. So I'm not telling people to be softies all the time. You have to have that ability to protect yourself and be willing to do it. But what takes a real man is you are able to the other 999,000 moments of life, you can actually be a vulnerable human being with other human beings. Yeah, I don't know what you think of Jordan Peterson. A lot of people have a lot of mixed feelings, but that reminds me a lot of his quote about, you know, as a man, you should be, you know, an absolute monster, you know, meaning, meaning capable of whatever it takes to defend yourself and those around you, but also under control, you know? Exactly. Now, Yes, I know that quote, and I feel like I'm only, uh, honestly, I'm only really getting that now, and I, I really get that through the lens of Bitcoin, that, you know, and I want to, like, stay in my in my lane here, but, you know, Bitcoin is more, it's it just happened to be called a Bitcoin, and it's like, so it's a financial instrument, is what most people know it as, but actually, it's another technology to be able to protect your sovereignty in and through cyberspace, right? And so it's actually through Bitcoin that I start to understand, interestingly, as a, you know, uh, what do you call it, a liberal snowflake, your listeners would probably call me, I actually start to understand in a way the point of view that I hadn't understood before. So anyway, it's really interesting that um, Bitcoin has really helped me understand a more libertarian, conservative point of view around sovereignty, individual sovereignty. Uh, anyway, but but yeah, so look, you should be able to be vulnerable with people around you. And for sure, that doesn't mean you have to be like, you know, you, you also should have the ability to protect yourself and other people. I love it. I love it. Good stuff. All right. So let's say you get a hold of a, uh, a DeLorean with a flux capacitor and you're able to go back in time to visit 10 year old figs. What do you want to tell him? Um, I'd say the probably the most important first thing I would do is I would let him know that you really, really did get hurt. And I see the way you're protecting yourself and it makes sense. And I'm glad you found a way to survive and to protect yourself. But I would love if you could take this opportunity to take off all the layers of which you protect yourself and let yourself feel the grief and the pain and the shame and the abandonment and the rejection and let all of those feelings come out right now. I'm going to be here with you. I'm going to love you just the way you are. You don't have to be anything other than just sad and heartbroken. Um, and know that I'm going to be here with you now forever. You never have to hide this part of you that feels abandoned, rejected, or shamed ever again. Awesome. That's powerful. Now, this is a bonus question I like to ask some, sometimes. Do you think 10-year-old figs would understand it or care? Would it, how would he react to that? I think it would be scary. As I like, I always, you know, I, by the way, I never expect anything to work the first time. Like a couple of imagine he, it doesn't mean it's the wrong thing. I always think he's, I don't know if your listeners are familiar with uh, Goodwill Hunting. There's this great scene where Robin Williams tells Matt Damon, it's not your fault. But what does Matt Damon do 
like this character, right? Will, right? The first time he says it's not your fault, he's like, mm, yeah, I know that, whatever. Like, he's not going to let it in. But he tells him again. And he goes, okay, back off. Then he tells him again, he gets even closer. And he goes, hey, watch out. I'll hit you if you keep telling him because it's a real threat. And then eventually he's holding him and he forces him to hear it's not your fault. And he's actually trying to hit him. He's going to tell him again. He's going to hold him even tighter. And then he breaks, crying and crying. Is that still what he needs to hear? So, yeah, I have no doubt the first time I said that to my 10-year-old self, they're going to like, uh, okay, yeah, no, thanks, I heard you. So nothing works the first time. But don't, don't be so quick to believe your own strategies of how you protect yourself or believe others, right? It doesn't mean you're on the wrong path when you're trying to love someone's vulnerabilities if they reject you first. So yeah, I probably have to tell them many, many times. I, I have to tell that part of myself many times every week. Nothing to say. Just a ten-year-old boy still living here inside me. Hasn't gone away. Never going to go away. Try to bury him many times. Little fetter gets out of the hole I dug for him over and over again. Uh, so, what is your best advice, Figs, for the men that are listening today? Um, the best advice would be: Look, oh, the problems in your relationship are happening because you both love each other. And it takes both of you. And the sooner you can see the system that you're both creating with each other and get your spouse on board, your partner on board with looking at it as a systemic problem, um, the sooner we can help you actually really be there for each other in the way both of you long for. And it's not as painful or as difficult you know, like as people imagine. Right. As long as you find someone that looks at things through this lens. Excellent advice, man. So if our listeners want to connect with you, the work you're doing, what's the best way to make that happen, man? Yeah, so probably the best way is just go to our website, empathy.com. And again, I couldn't, the guy wouldn't sell me empathy with a Y on the end.com. So I have to kind of, what do you call it? Jerry rig? I, yeah, yeah. I think you're allowed to say that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't know exactly. I never know where it comes from, right? I hope it's not. Inappropriate, I, it might but, be. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. But. but I have empathy with an I on the end, not a Y on the end.com. That was my solution that I couldn't get empathy with a Y on the end. And then on social media, people are into that stuff. Um, it's all empathy now. So empathy with an I on the end, N O W, on all the different platforms, it's at empathy now. Awesome. We will link link those in the show notes. So guys, if you're watching or listening, make sure you click on the show notes there and we'll have those linked up so you can connect with Figs O'Sullivan. Hey man, I really appreciate uh, the conversation. I appreciate your insight. And uh, this was a good, a good talk, man. Thank you. Thank you. Likewise. I really appreciate you having me on. Cheers, John. Thanks. Bye. Figs, thank you so much for being on the Manlyhood Mancast. I really appreciate your insights. All of you guys that are listening, make sure you check out the show notes. Go check out his website, and I do think there are some amazing resources there to help you in your relationship with your wife, with your spouse, to, to really help each other see how you think and why you react the way you do, and maybe we can stop this crazy cycle that we get in. Anyway, guys, I really appreciate you guys tuning into the Manly Head Mancast because everything we do here is about helping men like you 
become even better men. And yeah, this interview, I hope, is helpful as we look at our relationships with each other and as we look at our relationships with our spouse and the things that get in the way. So remember, guys, if you're struggling, if you need some help with those things, certainly join us at the Manlyhood Man Cave. It's our private Facebook group. We'd be glad to give you some advice there. Just hop in. If you haven't joined yet, you're going to want to join. You'll have to ask a couple questions to get access to the group. And once you're in, introduce yourself. And if you got something going on, just let us know. It's a place where we can help each other level up as men because we're building each other up. You know, we use the word level up a lot, right, when we're talking about how we can become better. But really that happens because we build each other up. And that's what we're doing in the Manly Hidden Man Cave. Guys, I really appreciate you joining us. I look forward to talking to you the next time that we have an episode of the Manly Hidden Man Cast. We've got some great interviews on the way. So don't go far, okay, because when those interviews come across, I think you're really going to appreciate those. So stay tuned. Anyway, guys, I love you. I'm proud of you. And I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Manlyhood Mancast. If you want to be a better husband, father, leader, a better man, you need to join our private Facebook group, the Manlyhood Mancast. Join today. Please help us out with a like, comment, share, and subscribe. And check us out at manlyhood.com. <laughs>